Well, we had a wonderful service last week, and I know the Lord is going to do some wonderful things here again today. Uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. We started last week with a series entitled, If God, Then Why? And so we're fleshing out a question every week with that. Last week we asked the question, if God is all-powerful and in control, then why does it seem like that he's weak and out of control? Well, I think we turned that question on its head and answered it effectively enough to say that absolutely God is in control. And absolutely he's not weak. He is all-powerful. Uh, and that's a great foundation that we were, that we're able to build upon going forward. Uh, we looked at last week how we declared that God is not weak, that God is not out of control, but that He's still in control and He's completely all powerful in all that's happening in the world today. We've got to know that. We also determined last week to go on the offensive rather than just sit back on the defensive. I think that we as a church have for too long sat back and said, Lord, just until you come and bring in the cavalry, we're going to hunker down in our fort and, and just hold back the enemy and just hope we have enough supplies to last until you show up. It's going on the defensive. And that's not what God's called us to do. He's given us weapons of our warfare. And as we said last week, we have, we have praise as a weapon. Have you used that weapon this week? Have you been praising the Lord? Prayer is a weapon. Now, prayer, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous person availeth much. It's a weapon that he's given us. The word of God is a weapon that we can declare and overcome the enemy and his lies and his deceit. The, the, the name of Jesus is a weapon. And we can declare the name of Jesus over situations. The blood of Jesus is a weapon. And those are offensive weapons as well as we put on the armor of Christ and the armor that he's given us. And we go forward in battle with all the, the weapons all the weapons at our disposal and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God and pulling down the strongholds of the enemy. And God is calling us to, to begin to pull down those strongholds and to take back what Satan thinks is his. And it's not his because God says, I still own everything. Uh, the earth and the fullness thereof, it belongs to him. But we as a church have been called to take dominion over the things of the enemy and not shrink back and not wait for him just to show up. I know that Jesus is coming back. I know that his return is soon, but we dare not just coast to the rapture. But it's, I think it's time for us to do some damage on the way out. How about it, church? Amen. So as we take these weapons of our warfare... And, and we continue to press into what 2023 is all about. I don't know what God has for us. And I don't know what 2023 holds. But I know who holds it. And, and, he, and we're in the palm of his hands. And, and, and so lest we worry about everything that's going on around us. Instead, let's stay focused on what God's called us to do. We, we can put on heavy yokes on our lives all the time, church. And God's not called us to put on those heavy yokes. He's calling us to, to take those yokes and lay them at his feet. He is our burden bearer. And the yoke that we put on is the yoke of telling people about Christ, being salt and light, sharing the good news, furthering the purposes of his eternal kingdom. You know, I think many of us came into our relationship with Jesus with the hope and the belief that all of our cares and troubles would magically go away. But that's not the case. We're going to ask a question and answer it today. And here's the question that we're going to ask. 
based on the foundation that we established last week, we're going to ask if God is our provider, if God is our healer, and if God protects us, then based on what God's word says, then why are we sick and why are we needy and why are we seemingly constantly attacked? Well, where's God in all of this? You know, I think many of us, if we come into this relationship as we received Jesus when we were a child, a teenager, an adult, whenever it was years ago or just last week, I don't know where you are in that time frame. But I think that maybe we kind of have this approach that we just come to Jesus and we give him our past, we give him our sins, we give him our struggles, we give him our burdens, and then we let him take it all the way and then he gives us a new and wonderful and always victorious and always blessed and completely carefree and completely peaceful and completely joy-filled life where there be no more sickness and no lack and no struggles that sounds really good doesn't it but folks that's not the case while we're here on this earth there will be struggles there is contention there are battles to face there is sickness there's trials there's burden there's attacks and we think, wait a minute, but Jesus said he's going to be my burden bearer. And the Bible says that he took care of everything on the cross of Calvary, didn't he? Well, yes. And didn't he promise to give us an abundant life here on this earth? Well, yes. But what happens many times when Christians, when they, when they or someone that they love and care about faces their first challenge? Maybe an urgent need, maybe a devastating diagnosis or maybe an insurmountable struggle, the inevitable questions begin to arise as we've placed our faith in Jesus. And we ask questions like, doesn't Jesus care? Is there really, does, is Jesus even real? Is this Christianity a really a real thing? What ends up happening is we have a crisis of faith because our theology is not well-rounded. Our belief in who Jesus is, is not complete. And that's what I hope in this series over the next several weeks that we can do is that we can take what we believe in Christ and then we can flesh it out and balance it out to get the full counsel of our relationship with Him and who He is and what God's Word says. Because these are important questions because our flesh does struggle with that many times. And it causes many a believer who were once locked into a loving relationship with Jesus. And I've seen it happen. And I think you have too. Where they drift away. They, they become hardened in their heart. They turn from Jesus when the going gets tough. So if you've been there, or maybe if you're there right now, let's dispel a few misunderstandings this morning about our walk with Christ as it relates to our needs, our sicknesses, and our struggles. And by the way, if you've never been there, or if you're not there now, good for you. God bless you. But guess what? You still need to listen up because it's on the way. <laughs> there will be struggles. There will be sickness. There will be attacks. There will be needs. No one is exempt from these things. So let's get equipped so that when they show up, we're going to be ready. Amen? Amen. All right. So to get some solid answers to these questions, we need to look to the full counsel of God's Word. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down full counsel of God's Word. Full counsel of God's Word. Write that down. Full counsel. By the way, if you don't have a journal, Shane and Cindy, are, if you could grab a couple of them, and if you want a journal, if you need something to take notes in, I know some of you missed it the last couple of weeks. We've been handing them out. But if you need a journal this morning, just lift up your hand, just keep it up, and they're going to come get you a journal. For those of you who do have journals... Open up to the next blank page and start taking some notes. Because we want to receive the full counsel of God's word this morning. 
I want you to look with me first in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the elders in Ephesus. Keep your hand raised, the journals are being handed out now. And the Apostle Paul was giving the elders in Ephesus these final instructions before his departure to the people that the Ephesian, he, he was placing the, the care of the, of the flock, of the congregation, the church in Ephesus, to the elders in Ephesus. And these, so these Ephesian believers are who he was speaking of. And he was speaking to, in fact. So starting in verse 25 of Acts chapter 20, it says this. It says, And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. He was actually going to Jerusalem, felt, felt being compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And he knew that there he was going to face trial. He knew that there he was going to face imprisonment and eventually death. He knew that he was going to his death. So there's a lot of heartache, there's a lot of tears, there's a lot of sorrow in this particular storyline here. Because he knew that he would never see them again. So that's what he was saying. He's, you're not going to see my face anymore. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel, the full counsel of God. Therefore, and here's the warning that we take to ourselves this morning. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock. So he was speaking to the elders and he was speaking to the flock. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So if you're a leader, if you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, if you're listening to this, this is certainly speaking to me. This is a charge to me. This is a charge to us as teachers of the gospel of the word of God. This is a charge to all of us here today that are leaders or that that are, that are leading a group of people, whether it be a, a small group or whether it be a, a church or, or, or anything in between. It says to therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Here's the next part of this warning. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves... Men will rise up, <clears throat> speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Folks, we've seen that in the church from that scripture declaration to today. That happens all the time. I promise you that from this pulpit, the word is going to be preached in, its, in, in clarity. Uh, it's, it's not going to be my opinion. It's going to be what I feel like the, the Holy Spirit is saying through the word. And I, I, my job is to equip you. My, my job is that if something were to happen to me tomorrow, that this church would be well equipped. And I have a responsibility to the Lord to that. But you also have a responsibility because this is telling you, you have to be aware. Yes, the pastor needs to be aware, but also the flock needs to be aware. And it's not just within the four walls of this church, but it's also the books that we read. The TV shows that we watch, the uh, evangelists and the preachers, the, the different podcasts that we listen to, the, the, the different venues and avenues that are there that we allow to stream into our lives the teaching of God's Word. 
And that's why we so desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us the discernment that we need so that we can chew on the meat and spit out the bones. So that we can say, no, that does not line up with what my word says. And so we reject it wholesale. There's things that we need to understand and apply and equip ourselves with, but we also need to be on guard because there are things that, that are wolves, that are people out there that are trying to skew people away. And it says here, they're trying to get disciples for themselves. And I read into that to say, I want you to come to my church or, or support my ministry or buy this book or whatever because I want your money. Because I want your, I want your applause. Because I, I want you to like me. It, it, it's a lot of different things that are there that are manipulative and self-serving. And we need to be careful with that, okay? So with that, is this okay so far? Okay. So this is not only a warning to the pastors and the overseers, but it's a warning to the flock. It's the pastors, we are to take heed to ourselves. I get that. I, 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 that we need to understand the entirety of God's word, and not only to walk it out personally, but also preach the full counsel of God's word to, <clears throat> to the flock. And that's what I'm trying to do here today. And that's what I try to do every Sunday, is to preach the full counsel of God's Word. But the flock, we all, and I'm part of that flock just as well as you are. We're all to be wise and discerning against those wolves, against false teachers, against what is described as perverse teachings <clears throat> or, or perverse ideas. That, that what will happen is it draws disciples after themselves. The word perverse, I looked up the definition, it means to turn away from what is right or good. The Amplified Bible adds another word to it. I like this word too. It's the word distort, which is also a helpful word because that word distort adds an understanding that things are not always as they appear. I don't know if you've ever looked through a distorted glass window. You know what I'm talking about? You see it kind of smoky or it has some funny designs to it where you can look and you can see on the other side of the door, there's some movement. There's an outline. There's something going on there. A person, a thing, you can't quite make it out. How many knows what I'm talking about? And so, so this distortion happens and you just try to guess at kind of what you think that it is or who it is. But see, that's what happens uh, when there's a distorted understanding of God's Word as well. We see the outline of God's Word. We, we know there's something that's there. But in the absence of taking the necessary time, hear me, church, taking the necessary time and the necessary effort to understand the full counsel of God's Word, we can't just take it at face value, whatever it is that we hear or read from a pastor or a Christian author or a TV evangelist and just run with it. We've got to take it and make sure it aligns with God's Word. We've got to take it and say, Holy Spirit, make sure that, it, that this is a lot. I don't want to walk this out. I don't want to apply this to my life if it doesn't align with what your Word says. And Holy Spirit, you're the author of the Word, so you're going to help me to know. We've got to be careful with this church because this is how we get into trouble in our walk with the Lord. This is how we get mad at God or we get disappointed with God when things don't work out like we think that they should have in our lives. We get bitter towards God and then our hearts grow cold towards God and then we drift away from God and before we know it, we have no meaningful relationship with the Savior of our souls. 
Too often we pull out a singular scripture verse without understanding that there are other verses in the Bible that helps flesh it out to give us that full counsel. And then what we do is we quote that verse, we stand on that verse, and we expect it to play out because our faith and our declaration says so. But what happens when things don't go the way that we declare it? Well, we have a crisis of faith, don't we? And this happens because we haven't considered the full counsel of God's Word. So with that said, let's look at our first question of the if-why on our list today. And that's talking about our needs. So here it goes. If God is our provider, then why are we always in need? It's a good question. Well, first off, let me just say right off the get-go that God created us to be a needy people. We need food. We need shelter. We need clothing. The necessities of life, we need those. We need salvation. <laughs> you know, we need, we need love and friendship and we need to work. And we, There's things we need. We're not just an island to ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with working to get the necessities that sustain our lives. In fact, the Bible says pretty clearly, if you don't work, you don't eat. And I'll just use a little side here to say that's part of the big problem what's going on in our nation right now. There's too many people that are getting the free stuff and they're too... Don't get me started. Amen. You know, I, 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 I'm working and I'm providing for Kelly and me, but I think we're also working to provide for about six or seven other people that I don't even know who they are. <laughs> but anyway. So here's what we do. We like to quote Philippians 4.19. And we say... My God will supply all of our needs according to His riches in glory through Christ Jesus. We quote that verse a lot, don't we? We'll pray it over somebody. We'll minister to them. We'll, we'll put it in a post, you know, or a text. And in a conversation, we'll say, yeah, but don't forget, God's going to supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And we go, praise God. That means I'm going to get that thing that I've been hoping for. God's going to supply it. And, but what we do is we build, a, we build the theology on that one verse, that narrow little plank, that one little piece of ice floating around in the, in the ocean with water all around us. But I'm standing on it. <clears throat> and I got to say that this is true. God will supply all of your needs according to his, according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. But... We must flesh out this promise with other scripture verses and understand more fully what this means, the full counsel of God's word. If we take this promise at face value, then we can assume that God is going to take care of all of our needs. Yes, our food, our shelter, our clothing. From God's, how many know that God has unlimited resources from his storehouse of provision? He lacks in nothing. So it's not, it's not, the, it's not, the, it's not the matter of God doesn't have it. He has it in abundance. Everything that we need. So that's not the disconnect. That's not the problem. He is going to... He, he owns everything. His supplies are unlimited. His resources are unlimited. But there, but there are other things that play into this promise that we sometimes get ourselves into trouble with if we're not careful. For example, most of us receive some sort of financial proceeds every month. Whether it be a paycheck. Whether it be proceeds from an investment. Whether it be if you're a teenager, maybe you get an allowance. Good for you. Maybe as you're, if you're retired, you get a check from Social Security for retirement. 
or, or, or there's things like that. There, there's money that comes in. And with it, we buy our groceries, we pay our monthly bills, we gas up the car, and things like that. Our needs. And even though we get money from various sources, know this too, that our ultimate provider is God. Who gives us the ability to work, he gives us the ability to invest, he gives us the ability to create an income stream to take care of our needs. <clears throat> but what happens when we add a bunch of wants to our needs? Uh, okay, everybody... Bring in your feet because I'm getting ready to step on some toes. What happens when we see that really cool, that really pretty, that really attractive thing that doesn't fall into the food, shelter, and clothing categories? Nothing wrong with them. But here's where it gets kind of sticky. What if the cost of that item goes beyond our income? Oh. Well, that's easy. We live in America. We have something called a credit card. Man, we'll just charge it and pay for it later because that's the American way, huh? But then we do it again because it's easier the second time and then the third time and then we do it again the fourth time and we continue to do it again and again and again. And before we know it, we've gotten ourselves into a financial hole that we can't get out of. And, and, and this speaks to proper stewardship of our resources, by the way, and which is a, a whole other message in itself. And I'm not going to go off into that. I'll, I'll get to that some other time. I've talked about it before, but I want to stay on course here for what I feel like the Lord would have us to understand today. So let's take the full counsel of God's word that we need to add to this verse. My God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory, right? We stand on that one verse. Let's flesh it out. Let's add to it Philippians 4, 11 and 12. It says this, and this is Paul talking. I am not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content. Uh-oh. Content. Whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Hey, Paul's coming from a place of like, I used to have it all. And he did. And then he was writing probably from prison at that point. I mean, imagine the... The swing in his life from abundance to, to need. But there's a key in here that kind of tempers this thing out because this passage balance out, balances out the other one. My God, my God shall supply all of my needs. By the way, that needs is in there for a reason. It doesn't say all of my needs and wants. It says all of my needs. But then you balance it out by saying that this, this fleshly greed, this, this, this need for greed, this desire to want things that are beyond really our, our needs, it goes into the wants. It's tempered with something that we struggle with, I think, sometimes. It's called godly contentment. Godly contentment. If we, if we can get our contentment dealt with, by the way, let's come back to this for just a second, that I believe our stewardship issue will follow suit. But again, that's another subject for another Sunday. What this does, this godly contentment, it is it calls our flesh that wants and says, wait a minute, there's a, there's a higher calling here and there's actually a better way. Okay, let's flesh this out a little bit more. We're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Because the Apostle Paul in his instructions to his apprentice Timothy gave him this warning. That Timothy was a young man, Paul was getting on up there, and he was realizing, I need to impart what's in me into this young apprentice because one day I'm going to be gone and I need to make sure he's okay. 
So 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we're going, starting in verse 2. These are the things you are to teach and insist on, he says. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited. <laughs> and understand nothing. In other words, they think they know it all, but they know nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. How many wants to have some great gain in your life? Have I got an investment for you this morning? Listen to me. Have I got a spiritual investment for you this morning? Are you looking for the next biggest thing? Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. Was anybody born with clothes on and the keys to a Maserati in this place? Anybody at all born with clothes and Maserati? No. Some of you might have been born with a silver spoon in your mouth, but that's a different story. You brought nothing into this world and you can take nothing out. Naked we came in, naked we'll go out. No U-Hauls behind a hearse. I just haven't seen it. Those who want to get rich, in other words, when that's their priority, when that's their goal, when that's when they put their passions in, if they want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Hey, sign me up for that, huh? For the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Some people take that and say, oh, the love, you know, money is the root of all evil. And so they, 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 they declare a vow of poverty. They live in poverty. Not, that's not what God's saying. Again, that's not the full counsel of God's word. They take it to the other extreme, right? So it's the love of money. In other words, I shall have no other gods before me is what the Bible is saying. Put me first. I'm your provider. I even give you the ability to make the money. But don't put money in front of me. And don't let your primary passions and pursuits be the things like that that, are, that you become eager for money because and, 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 it's, it's going to pierce your heart. It's going to give you many griefs. It's going to cause you to wander from the faith. Uh, it's going to cause you to do harmful things. It's going to plunge you into ruin and destruction if you love money. So we know the part that says godliness with contentment is great gain. But when you read this passage in its context, you get more of the full counsel as it relates to our relationship with money, our needs, our wants, our contentment. Flesh doesn't like this, by the way. The flesh says, oh, I, I, I'm going to ignore that because I still want what I want. To your destruction, you'll do that. To your harm, you'll do that. But if you take the full counsel of God's word and say, wait a minute. My God is going to supply all of my needs, but he also calls me, to be, calls me to be content, a godly contentment. So how do I balance that out? So Paul is adding this, this warning here to let godly contentment lead. Let, the lack of godly contentment will lead us to all sorts of foolish decisions. It'll lead us to traps. It'll, it'll cause grief in our hearts. It'll bring harmful desires in our way that'll lead us to ruin and destruction. I don't know about you, but I don't want to travel down that path. How about you? No. If you do, we need to talk. I need to help you with that. Instead, it seems like that there's a nugget here that we need to grab hold of. 
there, there's a greater gain. It's more valuable. It's more worthwhile. It's eternal in nature. If we simply pursue godly contentment over our need for greed. Lord, let our hearts be a heart that is content in you and trusting that you're going to supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory, but that I won't strive for the things that, that are not your plan for my life. So let me offer this thought to you as it relates to our needs. Maybe our need is to trust God more fully. Maybe our need is to be content in whose we are. Thought about that? Maybe our need is to learn financial discipline. Maybe our need is to learn proper stewardship of our resources because he's not going to give you stuff and you squander it away. He's a good steward of his, of his resources too. Maybe our need is to exercise self-control. Maybe our need is to redirect our desires and our priorities to the things that are eternal. That's the full counsel of God's Word. And we live in a nation where, and actually there's, there's preachers all the time, I've heard I grew up in it, with a lot of this sort of teaching that I hear about. The old name it and claim it stuff, you know. Prosperity gospel. That's a trap. We've got to be careful. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, about your body, what you're going to wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? And who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. So if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And don't set your heart on what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. We know that verse, don't we? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added unto us. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And by the way, in his kingdom, there's no lack. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. In other words, hold things loosely and look at the needs that are around you. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Can I just add to this by saying that I believe Jesus is saying to us here today, I've got your needs taken care of. Don't worry. Stop striving, be content, and let me show you a better way. Instead, he's saying, won't you expend your energies on the things that are eternal? And when you're in need, let it be an opportunity to simply trust me, to die to yourself, and to redirect your energies and priorities to the things that are above. That's a good challenge to us this morning. And I hope that that helps you to flesh out 
the next time that you pray to God, say, Lord, I'm believing you for X. And you better take the full counsel of God's word and make sure that that's what he's wanting for you. I never ask God to bless what I'm doing. I always try to find out what he's doing, what he's blessing, and do that. So what is it in your life that he wants to bless? And you can guarantee that as you step into that, he'll bless it. Let's look at the next thing. Our sicknesses. If God is our healer, why do we get sick? Isaiah 53, 5. We like to quote this. This is our theology that we build our life upon many times but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed that's a pretty that leaves no room wiggle room there if you just look at that and build your theology on it it says that when we pray and ask god to heal us or our loved ones certainly he's just going to come on through and we're going to get healed but when that doesn't happen, when he doesn't come through, we have another crisis of faith. So what do we do with this? Let's take the full counsel of God's word. Hebrews chapter 9 gives us the other side of this equation. It says in verse 27, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Wait a minute. I, I, I thought that you know, by his stripes we're healed. But then it says we're appointed unto man once to die. <laughs> this doesn't make sense. So if we take this to the extreme, if we stand only on the verse or the verses that say that we're healed when we pray because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, then no one would ever die. But we just went to a funeral this past week of a man of God who loved Jesus. Lord's father passed away this past Sunday. Funeral was on Thursday. Well, why wouldn't God heal him? Why couldn't he live forever? You have loved ones that have passed away. And we stood on God's word. We prayed over them. We anointed them with oil. We pleaded the blood of Jesus. We quoted scripture. And yet they still passed away. But we've got to balance out that theology that we have with other verses like this one in Hebrew, in Hebrews that says that it's a point under the man wants to die. And we get the full counsel of his word as it relates to our sicknesses and not only God's ability to heal, but his plan in our sickness. So, let's take this and you can go all the way back to Genesis on this one. Because when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, sin entered into the human race. Before, they were perfect, they were sinless, and they would have never died. But when sin entered in, Death entered in. Because the Bible says very clearly in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. Right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So based on this, we see that God is not just some lucky rabbit's foot that we rub. Or some magic genie that gives us three wishes and that he must do what we command. The last time I checked, God is God and we're not. So what must we do when these two seemingly contradictory truths in God's word clash? First, I think that it's important for us to understand that God is sovereign. In our sickness, in our situation, he's sovereign. Sovereign means, a big old fancy Christian word, isn't it? What does sovereign mean? It means God does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, based on 
our best interest and his perfect plan. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 gives us some important insight into how we approach God in our sickness. How we should approach God in our sickness. It says this, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your commands be made known to God. Oh, wait a minute. Some theology, some people stand on that though, and she, she kind of tweaked that word a little bit, at least they acted out that way. But it says request, doesn't it? Let's try that again. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We like that part, that little last part of the verse there. Peace of God's going to rule our minds, our thinking, rule our hearts, our emotions. But when you tack it on to, to, the, to the context of what this is, he's saying that in your sickness, in the sicknesses of your loved ones, God's going to give you a peace that's going to help you through your thinking process and through your emotions when it doesn't quite play out the way that you ordered God to do it or expect God to do it or declare his word that it should be done. That instead we say, Lord, this is a request. I'm going to declare your word. I'm going to stand on it, but I'm also going to trust that you're sovereign and that you know the best interest of my life and everybody around me because you know the end from the beginning. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you with this. So I love how it says request and not commands or demanding. And as you see, and you see how when we, when we do that, when we make our request, God then gives us in, in that in that request, in that encounter with him, a peace in our thoughts and our emotions. This peace is the one that says, I trust you. Lord, I trust you with the outcome of my request because you know what's best. I don't know how often we do that, but I think that the crisis of faith that we have will be diminished greatly if we were to go to God with request and not commands. Standing on his word, trusting in him with the results, but knowing that he's sovereign and he has our best interest at heart. And it's all for his glory. You know, we read in 2 Corinthians where Paul wrestled with this malady of some sort and his response to it. 2 Corinthians 12, it's a familiar scripture to some of us starting in verse 7. He said, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, <laughs> I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, and another very famous quote, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, this malady, this thorn in my flesh. I'm going to boast of it. I'm going to rejoice in it, in fact, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Well, that's, that sounds a little bit like you're sick to your mind, right? Why would you delight in a weakness? What are you, some, are you crazy? I delight in insults. Who would want to delight in an insult? In hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. I delight in them. For when I am weak, he's strong. Maybe that's why he's delighting. Because when I'm weak, it's showing your strength in me. These things that come my way, whether it be sickness or whatever, it's to show his strength in my life. It's to bring glory to his name. So could it be that this sickness is there not to punish, 
because there's a lot of people say, let me just say this too. If, if you're sick and someone comes to you and says, there's sin in your life and that's why you're sick, watch it, okay? Talk to me about that, okay? Let's talk about that later, but that's not true. Because this, this, this scripture right here simply says that God allows these things sometimes. Think about Job in the Old Testament. I mean, God, God gave permission to, for Satan to do a lot of awful stuff. He lost everything except his life, but then God restored him. But it doesn't, it's not because that he's trying to punish us. Well, you did something wrong, so I'm just going to zap you with some sickness. And it's also not to say that God can't take, can't take it away, because he can. He can. And Jesus did. All he had to do was just speak to the leper, speak to the dead people, speak to the cripple, speak to the demon possessed. And healings were taking place and deliverances just like that. Jesus can do it. But maybe that sickness is there, and maybe that sickness remains, or maybe it goes what I'll call unanswered, to cause us to rely more fully on God. To not be conceited, as Paul said. To not be self-sufficient in the midst of our sickness. Could it be that as we endure this sickness, that we're actually becoming stronger in Christ? And shouldn't that be our goal? I know that's what Christ's goal is for us, is that we become more like Him, more dependent upon Him, dying to ourselves more and more like Jesus. Could it be that God wants to teach us in our sickness to rejoice in Him, to bless Him, to give thanks in all things, and let His power be perfected in our weakness? Now know this, God answers every prayer, by the way. Sometimes He answers with a yes, we like those. Sometimes the answer is with a no. We don't like those. Sometimes it's a, it's, it's, it's a wait. We don't like those either. Sometimes it's, he says, my grace is sufficient. And we really don't like that either because our flesh wants what we want. So if you've lost a loved one to death that was in Christ, a loved one that you prayed for that God would heal, I want you to know something today. That your loved one today is absolutely healed. 100% healed. Your loved one is whole and healed for all of eternity. They are perfect. I want you to know something. God answered your prayer. He answered your prayer. Heaven is the ultimate healing for all of us as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting in verse 53. It says, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has become clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? And where, O oh death, is your sting? Hey, I got the answer. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has overcome death and hell and the grave. Amen? Amen. So hopefully that fleshes out your theology a little bit more so that you won't have a crisis of faith. Let's look at this last one, our struggles. If God is our protector, why are we constantly attacked? Why are we struggling so? In Romans, we like to quote this, this one passage. We kind of take it out of context. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. How many heard that ad infinitum? Ad nauseum probably over your walk with the Lord. Hey, praise God, but we're, I'm just being attacked. Yeah, but we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Amen? Hey, amen. I'm more than a conqueror. And that's good. We need, to, we need that little boost sometimes, right? We need to be reminded of that. This, this, this 
this, this theology, this little plank, this little sliver of a plank that people have built really movements on. It's especially popular with the Charismatics and the Pentecostals, of which we are Pentecostals, believe it or not. This is a Pentecostal church. I hope you didn't think you came in here to a Baptist church or whatever. We're Pentecostal. Now, there's some Baptists that are Pentecostal, but we are we're Pentecostal Pentecostals. And we say, praise God, we're Pentecostals. Which means that we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I got the victory in Jesus, right? And that's a great theology that we built on this sliver of a scripture. We're always victorious. We're never defeated. Higher and higher and greater and greater each day. But this sort of theology, church, is unsustainable. And it's unscriptural. We're going to have mountains for sure. And I love those mountains. How about you? Yeah. But we're also going to have some valleys. Let's read this verse in its context. We heard the phrase that says we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. But let's, let's flesh it out. Let's, ca let's catch what's before it and let's catch what's after it. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It means, there's a, it means that there's a battle going on there. Think about it. I mean, that already starts it right there. Wait a minute. What do you mean who shall separate me? I, I, I'm a Pentecostal. I'm victorious all the time. Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Why is that even there? Well, let's find out. Shall tribulation, oh my goodness, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, yet in all these things, hear this, yet in all these things, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the attack, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It doesn't mean we won't go through them. It means that in the midst of them, Christ is giving us the victory. He's giving us the authority. He's giving us the power that we need to make it through. For I am persuaded. Here comes another list that just kind of bangs up against our Pentecostal theology. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor present things, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. So there's some things that would try to separate us, but there's nothing that will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, because we have been made more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We will never be separated from His love. As if we as believers are to always be victorious and never be defeated, then why would there even be this list of tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and peril and sword? Here's the fact of it. We are not promised a carefree life upon receiving Christ in our hearts. We're going to experience trials and struggles and attacks. And in fact... We experience them all the more as Christians because we painted a great big bullseye on our chests for Satan to target. Right. Kelly and I watched a powerful movie this past week. Very familiar maybe to some of you. It's been around since 1975. It's a movie called The Hiding Place. How many is familiar with that movie? Yeah. For those of you who aren't, it's the story of a, a lady by the name of Corey Tin Boom. She was a Christian believer. Her and her family lived in Holland during the Nazi regime. You know, 
that Nazi Germany overtook Holland as well as other countries during World War II. And she and her family were not Jews, they were Christians though. And her and her family decided to protect the Jews who were being targeted and singled out by Nazis for extermination. And as a result, eventually they were found out. They were arrested and then they were shipped to Nazi Germany in these inhumane boxcar trains treated like less than human. And then they were placed in these concentration camps. If you've seen any, any samples on TV or movies of what concentration camps were like in World War II, the, the Nazi concentration camps, they were indescribably awful. And this movie was pretty authentic in how it portrayed it. She endured beatings. She endured malnutrition. She endured sickness. She endured head lice. She endured freezing temperatures. She endured excessively hard manual labor and there was a constant threat of death hanging over her because she chose to hide some Jews in her house to do the right thing. And if you read, if you, if you read the story, if you watch the movie, many didn't survive, including her sister who was with her in, in the same barracks. And she only, she did only survive by what was described in the movie as some sort of clerical error that provided for her release one week before all those her age were put to death. You know, there's a lot of things that spoke to us in this movie as we watched it. I just, uh, it was just gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, but... The, the one thing in this movie that spoke to me of, of how in our hardship and in our struggle that we can know that God is with us, there's one thing that stuck out. In this concentration barracks, they were packed in like sardines, three, four, five people to a bed. It's just awful. And they immediately when they went in there, they realized that there were lice all over the place in the mattress and stuff. Nasty. I'm sorry to get into too much detail with that, but you know, it's just awful. So they're, they're going into this absolutely filthy environment of which head lice became part of their existence. And at first they complained about it. They didn't understand it. But then eventually they realized that because of the nastiness of the barracks and because of the lice in particular, that the Nazi soldiers refused to set foot inside the barracks. It was almost like, open up the door. Hey, you guys, come out because we're not coming in. And what this did was it allowed Corey Ten Boom to keep and continue being encouraged and reading out loud to others a pocket-sized Bible that she was able to smuggle into the barracks, which is another part of the movie that is so beautiful to watch. So God allowed her to minister His love and His word to countless ladies in the most hopeless of situations because of the presence of head lice. And she was eventually able to share her story of God's faithfulness to the world in that movie. And she was an evangelist and very popular back in the 70s and 80s before she passed. And by the way, that story continues because it's being shared here today. God's faithfulness is proven in the midst of our struggles. When's the last time you thanked God for, figuratively speaking, the headlights in your life 
the things that seem to be unexplainable and why would God do this? The struggles that you're facing. The book of Lamentations, I want to read to you in its entirety, this particular chapter. It was possibly written by Jeremiah, but it describes a wrestling of a heart in the midst of attack and struggle. I don't want you to listen to this. Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He's driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I can't escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayers. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target of his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. I remember my affliction and my soul is downcast within me. If we just stop right there, you would think, man, this guy, if that were me, I would say, I'm out of here, God. You don't love me. You don't care for me. All this is just a joke. In my struggles, you not only saw me that I was down, but you kicked me while I was down. I mean, that list right there is quite a list of, it feels like complete abandonment and a complete lack of care on God's part for his precious chosen people. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way before. I don't know if you've ever felt like, does God really even know I exist? But he does. And he knows the situation that you're in. Maybe you have struggled at some points with being homeless. Maybe you've struggled at some points with addiction. Maybe you've struggled at some points with relational situations. Whatever the case may be. Many of us might be going through it right now. And you may be looking at this thing and saying, Lord, I'm so tired of the attack. I'm tired of the struggle. It feels like it's relentless and I feel like that you've forgotten me. I can relate to this man right here. And he had a choice to make, as we all do, as to what we're going to do with our circumstances and the struggle and the battle and the attack. Many Christians choose to say, I'm done. I just walk away. But Jeremiah, or whoever this man was, has this one key word that pivots, and it says, he says, yet. Yet. Let's just stop right there. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you may be going through down the road, yet needs to be a word that stops you in your tracks.
Because what this is doing is it's helping him to get his eyes off of the circumstances and onto somebody else, something else, something that will lift him up and redirect his attitude, his thinking, his goals, the steps that he's taking. He says, yet, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. What is he calling to mind? Let's see. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. He loves you. He loves you in your circumstances that you're in right now. He loves you. He has a great love. He has an infinite love. He has a ceaseless love. He has an unending love for you. So be reminded of that. Pivot to that. Say, yet, I will call this to mind. Because of the Lord's great love, I'm not consumed. That gives me hope for His compassions. They never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We know that verse, don't we? Oh, great is thy faithfulness. There's a hymn that says, great is thy faithfulness. We know it well. But did you know that that's where that verse came from? Right before that, the description of that is a man who, was, who should have abandoned God completely and said, this thing is a bunch of hogwash. Just like Corey Tin Boom. She could have turned. And said, that's enough. She actually had a little crisis of faith going on if you watch the movie. She hated that person, that woman who was the Nazi guard. And it was just so cruel. And, and she was struggling with that. But, but the Lord brought her back because she had a foundation. She had a full counsel of God. Great is your faithfulness. And then he continues by saying, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Meaning, your timing, not mine. Your will, not mine. Your purpose, not mine. Your plan, not mine. I'm going to trust you in the middle of this awful situation. The Lord is good to those, he continues, who hope in him. The one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Oh, yes. But do we do that? Great is God's faithfulness. Amen. And great is God's love. Romans chapter 8. Let's go back to that. We just read that a little bit ago. For I am persuaded neither death nor life nor angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, created thing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If you're in the middle of the worst situation and you got, figuratively speaking again, head lice and you can't figure out why you have it, why is this going on in your life? Figure out how to praise God in your situation. And then yet be reminded that great is His faithfulness and His unending love for me. And that gives me hope. And therefore I will wait. He's never going to leave you, the Bible says. And nothing can separate you from His love. You know, these struggles that you're facing today. It shows, it show, it show God cares. It shows God, show God's love. It shows God's power, and it shows God's goodness through them, if you look at it that way. And we must. These struggles built our spiritual musts. And just like with Corey Tin Boom, and I'll, I'll say this, 
I think too often we give up too soon on God. I wonder how many Christians in the midst of their struggles, in the midst of their Nazi concentration camp imprisonment, I wonder how many in the midst of their struggles gave up just before they were discharged from it. I wonder. I wonder how many victories that we, have, that we haven't experienced because we chose to just give up in the middle of it and not trust God. I wonder how many stories in our life have been aborted because we think God has abandoned us and forsaken us. He has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. He's in the middle of it with you. Just like he was with Daniel and the lions did. Just like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Just like he was with Joseph when he was put into prison and left there to rot. And on and on and on it goes. He's with us the same because he's no respecter of persons. God is our healer. God is our provider. God is our strength in time of need. But he always extracts lessons in our struggles. He's always stretching us. He's always teaching us. He's always challenging us. He's always calling us to die to ourselves. And to take up our crosses. And to follow him. He's calling us to a higher place in him. And if we just are just, 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 just wallowing around in this weak theology that we have. This, this incomplete theology. And we allow one little thing to knock us off of our game. Satan wins. Let's stop letting him win. Let's go in the offensive. Let's take the full counsel of God's word and say, in the midst of this, I will bless the Lord. In my struggles, I will trust in him. In my sickness, I'm going to find out what he's trying to do through this. In my need, I'm going to trust him and be content in him. Just because you're in need dealing with sickness in the midst of your struggle doesn't mean God's word isn't true. It doesn't mean that, that, that your issues are bigger than God's strength and power to overcome them, by the way. When you face these crises in your, in your faith, do not turn away from God. But instead, let it be a prompt to lean more fully into God. Because these struggles are maybe new to you, but they're certainly not new to Him. He's using them to grow you to be more like Jesus. So continue. To stand on his promises to provide and heal and to strengthen. But consider that in the midst of these things, what God is trying to work in you of him and out of you, of you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And I'm so thankful that, is, that that's a solid and movable fact. What in the midst of this that you're facing is God trying to show you of himself and of yourself? I don't know. But I do know this, that the Holy Spirit will help you. He'll guide you into all truth. Jesus said that in John. I'm leaving, but I'm going to bring you someone who's going to guide you into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit. And last week, man, we were all up here and we got filled with the Holy Spirit, the, the impartation of the Holy Spirit, the oil of the Holy Spirit. I hope you did that every day this week. Every day, little Holy Spirit, let the oil of the Holy Spirit pour over me to soften me, to strengthen me, to give me discernment, to empower me, to guide me, to help me. To give me a bigger heart for souls. All these sort of things. I want you to stand with me this morning. And him if you could. I believe the Lord is speaking to some people here this morning. And this is. Man this is hitting home for some of you. I know this is a word for some of you. And whether you're watching from home or here. I want to invite you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. And in fact. 
There's something about coming up, stepping out, and moving forward that it brings a release. It makes an acknowledgement to the Lord. Say, Lord, I, I'm dealing with sickness, and I need you to help me to get that full counsel. I'm dealing with, with need, and I, I need you to help me to have that full counsel to be content in you. I, I'm struggling with this battle, this attack in my life, and I need to know that even though I'm in the middle of this headlight situation in my life, that there's some good that's going to come out of it. You're there with me. I just invite you to come up so we can pray together. I want to pray over you this morning as we wrap this thing up today. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. I thank you that, yes, we can stand on your word. But Father, help us to stand on the full counsel of your word and to balance this out to where we don't just have a crisis of faith every time something comes our way that hits us wrong because we think you've left us because we think you don't care because we think that you don't have the power or the ability to see us through those are lies from satan so father in our need right now if we need to work in godly contentment then lord help us to yield to you our wants and help us to live in godly contentment. Thank you, Lord, that you're providing all of our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Thank God. But also we thank you that we've learned that whether in need or, or in plenty, we've learned to be content in you. That's the other part of it that we need to factor in here. The flesh doesn't like that part. But the spirit man says, yes, I hunger for that. Lord, in the times where we want to be healed and maybe we're struggling with some physical issues right now maybe it's emotional mental relational issues the healing can manifest itself in so many different ways and lord where where we can make our request known to you and not just declare it and command you but then lord as we make our request lord what we need to balance this thing out is your peace that will rule our hearts and our minds knowing that you're sovereign you're going to take care of these things so, you know what's best for us, and you know what's best going to bring glory to your name. So, Lord, as we contend for these things and declare your word, we're also going to trust you with the results of them. We're going to create a balanced approach to this thing to say, all right, Lord, by your stripes I'm healed. But also, you're sovereign, and you want to extract some stuff out of this. So, Lord, it's also pointed that a man wants to die, and the wages of sin is death. Lord, we also thank you that one day we're all going to experience the gift of God, which is eternal life. No more sickness. No more struggles. Which leads us to our struggles. Lord, if we're dealing with confusing and uh, difficult situations like what Corey Ten Boom experienced back in Nazi Germany, where she was doing the right things. She was doing the right things. She loved you. She was serving you. She was doing everything right. And yet she got put in that situation. But Lord, we see hindsight 2020 that you never left her. You never forsook her. You were there with her through all of that. And you used it for your greater glory and her greater good because she was able to take that story as you gave her a bigger platform than she would ever have in her little watch, uh, in her little place in Holland, that little watch shop that they owned 
where she could touch two or three lives or maybe 10 or 12 or a dozen or whatever. Lord, that through that difficult time, she was able to reach countless millions. The powerful story of your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. In our struggle, great is your faithfulness. Help us to know great is your faithfulness. Help us use that word yet and to pivot to that in our struggles. Yet I call to mind that you're faithful and that, you're, that you have a great love. You have an endless love. And that gives me hope that in the midst of my struggle, you're there. Your loving faithfulness is there. And that through it, on the back side of it, it gives us an opportunity to have a greater platform, a bigger story, a powerful testimony of your faithfulness. So Lord, it feels weird to say this right now, but help us to rejoice in our headlights that we're in. Help us to rejoice in our difficult struggles and circumstances and trust you. Father, help us to balance out our theology with maybe what we've been standing on that causes us to have a crisis of faith and say, wait a minute, let me get that full counsel, Lord. Show me what your word says to balance this out because we should never have a crisis of faith. We should always walk in faith towards you and trusting in you. And so if we have a crisis of faith, it means our theology is not where it needs to be. It means that we're, that we're standing on something that is not balanced because you are good, because you are faithful, because you are love, because you'll never leave us or forsake us. And we have to know that in our struggles, in our sickness, in our need, you're there. And you're bringing good out of it for your glory and for our good. Hallelujah. We give these things to you. And Father, help us to pivot to yet in our lives. In every situation. I have a need. Yet, I'm going to trust in you and be content. I, I have a sickness. Yet, I'm going to trust, Lord God, that by your stripes I'm healed. But yes, I'm going to trust you that in that, that you're going to bring some good. I have a struggle right now. Yet, I'm going to declare that you're faithful and that you love. Help us to pivot to yet all the time. Holy Spirit, help us with that. Now, as we're dismissed here today, Lord, I pray that as we lift up our hands to you, that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit right now. We need a fresh infilling. We need a fresh outpouring right now. Lord God, as we looked at it last week and saw the qualities of, of oil and what it does in our interactions with it here in the natural Lord, we also know that there's a spiritual aspect to your oil, the oil of the Holy Spirit, that, that brings clarity to our thinking. It brings softness to our hearts. It, it brings boldness to our speaking. It brings order to our steps. It, it helps us in every way to be empowered, and it gives us discernment to, against the tricks of the enemy and the lies of the enemy. Holy Spirit, we need your oil right now to, to just bathe us from the top of our heads to the tips of our toes spiritually. Let it get into every crack and every fiber of our being. We need your Holy Spirit. A fresh touch right now of your Holy Spirit. We, we receive it right now. We want to be like the five wise virgins who always kept that oil in reserve. Father, bring some into our reserve because we've used it up this week. We need more, Lord God, so that we can walk out of here, yes, victorious, yes, discerning, yes, empowered, yes, fully equipped and ready to be salt and light ready for your return ready to be that example for you ready whatever the case may be fill us I pray right now with your Holy Spirit I need a fresh infilling we need a fresh infilling hallelujah 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 hallelujah
How many is thankful for God's faithfulness? Amen. 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 Next Sunday, if God is our joy, if God is our peace, if God is our strength, why are we so unhappy? Why are we troubled? And why are we weak? There's an answer to it in God's Word. Continue to contend for those things in God's Word, but please, please, let's equip ourselves with the full counsel of God's Word as we walk this out. Amen? God loves you. He's faithful. He's with you. Walk, that, walk out of here with that equipment on. And remember, what is it again? Praise is a weapon. Prayer is a weapon. God's word is a weapon. The, the blood of Jesus is a weapon. And the name of Jesus is a weapon. Use them. Because the battle will ensue. But use those weapons of our warfare to knock down the stronghold of the enemy. And let's be on the offensive. Amen? Let's take back those things that the enemy thinks is his. They don't belong to you, Satan. They're not yours. They belong to God. And we're going to take them back. Amen? Amen. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.